What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast, episode 65 today. And I got to say, I'm pretty excited about the lineup that we have for you guys. We're going to be kicking off, of course, with Off the Top, followed by each of us picking a couple of winners and losers of this NBA offseason as we're getting closer and closer to the kickoff of the NBA season. Then we're going to get into each naming our top five stadiums slash arenas. And then, of course, as always, the hot seat and the fun facts. So definitely a full episode today for you guys. So without any further ado, I'll kick it over to Mike to start with Off the Top. Hi, I'm Mike. This is Off the Top. So you mentioned a lineup. So speaking of lineups, we've got the Falcons lineup. In some areas, that's looking really good. Bijan Robinson having a good start. Our defense improved, uh, specifically Jesse Bates. You know, what a signing that's been. But I'm looking at the NFC South. We've got the Bucks, three and one. We've got the Falcons and the Saints at two and two. Falcons dropping that second loss in Andy's bedroom in that Toy Story London mix and mash nonsense game. Uh, and then the Panthers, 0-4. So I'm looking back at our tier list that we did for the preseason, like we always do. And we put the Falcons at number 19, which was at the top of the NFC South in terms of our predictions. That makes us a long shot. It makes us winning the division. And so, Dave, for the off the top, I wanted to ask, we're four games in. We've seen some good stuff. We've seen some bad stuff. How do you feel about that number 19 prediction? How do you feel about that leading the NFC South prediction? How how do you feel about the Falcons right now in that respect? Well, I do want to put some context on that and say we put the Falcons, the Saints, and the Buccaneers all right next to each other in the tier list because it was really hard for us to pick between them and in terms of who would win the South. So we just kind of put the Falcons at the top because we're Falcons fans. (laughs) Now it's really the, the only difference. So what I'll say is I think it's completely up for grabs between those three teams. I don't think any of them have looked particular, particularly good. I think the bucks have looked a little bit better than I would have anticipated, including Baker Mayfield, the saints, have been pretty iffy. Um, you know, Derek Carr's also hurt, so we'll see. And then, you know, the Panthers have been bad, as we expected. But then the Falcons, great start, um, you know, 2-0, and and then obviously losing the last two games to go back to 2-2. Two and two. Um, I've been on record, I believe, as saying I don't think Desmond Ritter is the quarterback of the future for the Falcons. I think he's fine if you want to tank for Caleb Williams or one of these other good quarterbacks. Um, Really, it's kind of sad when you think about it. We've invested so many top picks in offensive playmakers, and yet we don't have a quarterback or really an offensive system that allows us to maximize them. Kyle Pitts and Drake London should be having way better seasons than they are. Um, and not just this season, but in past seasons as well. Bijan is still doing his thing and he's, he looks really, really good. I think we could see even, even more from him, um, if we had more of a threat 
throwing the ball down the field. Uh, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's kind of sad to me uh, because I think we have the capability of being so much better than we actually are. The defense has been much improved, which has been a relief to see. Still not getting to the quarterback enough, but at least I think that's going to keep us more competitive in games. But if you only score seven points against the not-so-intimidating Jaguars defense, then you're not really going to win any games. So in terms of the number 19 um, ranking, I don't, I'm don't. i not mad at it. Um, I, I, I do think the Falcons could still potentially win the South, but only because the other teams aren't very good. Because I don't think the Falcons are very good. I think they're better and more more balanced. But at the end of the day, quarterback, as well as the offensive line's pass blocking, I think are the two areas that are really letting the Falcons down. Um, and whereas they're average to above average in a lot of the other categories. And so I feel like it, it could go either way. But I'm hoping personally for you know us to to not not win the division and to end up in those top you know top five to ten range um and potentially get a chance to draft our quarterback of the futures where to where we can actually maximize the talent that we have and maybe Kelly Williams isn't an option but there are plenty of other really good quarterbacks that look like they you know, they could be potential studs in the NFL that are coming through in this upcoming draft class. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess like the one follow-up then is, so in one direction, we could just keep losing, right? Um, I mean, that's the trend we're on currently. And maybe we get a top five, top 10 pick. On the other end of it, let's just say, you know, eight games from now, we're still in the conversation to win the NFC South. We're, if not leading it, we're like a game behind, you know, somewhere in there. Um, at what point, do you, like if Desmond Ritter is still playing like this, you know, which, you know, he's had some nice little inspiring moments, but overwhelmingly he has been bad. Um, at what point do you go, okay, let's switch to Heineke. Do you think that's something that Arthur Smith should be thinking about? Do you think that's something that we should switch to in ter- like in pursuit of winning or do you just go whatever this season is it's Ritter and we see what happens I think unless he is so bad that he's completely like tanking your 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 offense then you keep him in there because you need to see number one I think you you just see as many reps of him as possible. If you're going to try to draft a quarterback next year, you need to see can you know can he navigate the ups and downs of an NFL season and end up correcting some of his mistakes. I think a premature benching is only going to kind of lead to like well, Heineke maybe gives us a little bit better chance to win right now, but that doesn't really solve the issue of who's going to be our quarterback in the next three to five years. So I would, I would say, I think Ritter probably just needs to keep starting. I know personally, I want that to happen, but I think Arthur Smith as well, like unless he continues to to play absolutely terribly, if he plays like he did in the Jaguars game for the next couple games, 
maybe you start really thinking about it, but he's had some better moments. So I think you let him kind of try to figure it out over the course of the season and, and see what happens. Cause like I said, there's, even if we did win the division, there's no way we're doing anything in the playoffs. Like that's just the reality of it. And I think the only way to do that is to have a quarterback who's performing like CJ Stroud right now is for the Texans. Like he's elevating that roster leaps and bounds out of, you know, of where it should be. And we need a guy like that to come in. And if they, you know, if they do, CJ Stroud is making Nico Collins, no offense to your Michigan guy. (laughs) He's making Nico Collins and Tank Dell look like superstars. We've got freaking London and Kyle Pitts and Bijan. Like what could an actual, you know, solid rookie quarterback do with those weapons, you know? So we'll just have to see, but it's definitely been a mixed bag so far. Yeah. And I definitely want us to talk about that a little bit, hear from you about it since we are Atlanta based, you know, uh, we don't just focus on our Atlanta teams, but every now and then an opportunity presents itself, you know? So I figured we'd come back to that, but cool. So all of that out of the way, we'll see how the NFL season continues to shake out. All I do know from that NFC South standing so far is that we were spot on about the Panthers saying that they were going to be trash. Oh, and four. There they go. But I think that will do it for off the top. When we come back, we'll get into some of the winners and losers from the NBA offseason. So stick around for that. Okay, now it's time to get into our NBA themed segment of the episode where we're going to each bring two winners and two losers to the table uh, of the NBA offseason so far. We're not going to talk about the draft necessarily, um, but obviously there have been some really big trades that have happened, some big free agent signings. So in as you know, short of a succinct way that we can to, to try to break down some of the, um, the big movers and shakers of this off season, we're going to just talk about a few of them. And if, if we talk about a couple other things as well, then that's fine. But some of these will be connected. Some of these will be different, but Mike, Who's your first winner of the NBA offseason? Let's address the big one first. It just happened. Damian Lillard is now a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. So I'm going to cheat and put two. By the way, I feel like I'm going to cheat a lot this episode. So just a heads up. But we got Damian Lillard on the one hand and the Bucks on the other. And I know we'll talk more about the other implications and effects from this trade as well later on. But first of all, if you're Damian Lillard, you know, we've talked plenty of times on this podcast and you've heard it, I'm sure like in mass media, otherwise, you know, Damian Lillard has given everything to Portland. They were unable to put a team around him. He was unable to single-handedly or, you know, more or less single-handedly take that team to the championship. Nonetheless, he's been one of the best players of our generation to not win a ring so far. And he presented Miami as the team that he wanted to go to, but Portland instead trades him to Milwaukee, where he gets to join Giannis, who has already won a ring. What's more is I'm looking at the trade, and... I love Drew Holiday. I feel like that's 
been well documented on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of Drew Holiday. Dave, I think you are as well. But adding Dame, even with the subtraction of Drew Holiday, is insane. Not to mention, I'm not just looking at the pieces they gave up, like Drew Holiday or Grayson Allen, which, by the way, the removal of Grayson Allen makes this team a lot easier to cheer for, in my opinion. But look at who they didn't give up. They still have Giannis. They still have Chris Middleton. They still have Brooke Lopez. They still have Bobby Portis. Like, (laughs) they improve their point guard and keep the rest of their core together. And that core is a championship-winning core already. This team was already a competitor in the East, and they just got juiced. So, if you're the Bucks, you got noticeably better. If If you're Damian Lillard, you joined a noticeably better team by leaps and bounds hand-in-glove fit like both of them on an individual and team level just had their chances of winning the championship skyrocket in so much so that the bucks are now the odds-on favorite to win the championship this year so i guess in short the pairing would be my first winner the pairing of damian lowered and the milwaukee bucks yeah i think i mean if you you can just stop with dame and Giannis. And just just kind of stop there, and it's like, oh my gosh, um, yeah, that's it's going to be really fun to watch for sure. Had to have been tough to give up Drew, but I think your your ceiling probably is raised a little bit with Lillard. Maybe there's a little bit more risk, but also if you if you want to keep Giannis happy, this seems to have done that so far. So yeah, I think the Bucks making this decision that that's what they had to do. And especially coming out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, um, to kind of snatch Lillard was a was a pretty big move on their part. So I'm going to talk about another team that's involved with that trade. And that's the Trailblazers. Uh, obviously, they gave up Damian Lillard, their franchise icon, and... It's one of those things where if you're the Blazers, yeah, you you haven't really maximized Damian Lillard while he was there. He never made the finals. You know, you had some decent pieces around him, but never enough to really make a push for the title. However, I cannot say that they did not maximize Damian Lillard leaving in terms of the assets that they got in return. I'm going to read out, not all the picks individually, but I'm going to read out what they, you know, their full package that they got in return for Dame once all the dust settled. They got DeAndre Ayton, Robert Williams, the Time Lord, Malcolm Brogdon, Tumani Kamara, who's just in here, uh, he's going to be one of those like trivia questions, like who was that one guy who was part of that trade? Um, and then they also got two pick swaps from the Bucks and two first round unprotected picks, one from the Celtics, one from the Bucks, and then a first round pick that's top four protected from the Warriors. So in total, that's three first rounders, two pick swaps, and a former number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton, as well as Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, and then another guy so when i look at all of that and i look at damian lillard 
if you're the Trailblazers, which would you take before you knew that Damian Lillard was officially going to leave, looking forward to the next you know few years? Do you want Lillard or do you want all of these assets? And I got to be honest, I feel like you you take the assets. And that's it's tough because Lillard is the icon, the franchise icon. You know, he Portland loves him. He loves Portland. But it was starting to sour. And, you know, when it comes down to it, he's also getting pretty old. Like, the, the window is closing for him uh, to continue to be as effective as he has been. And you've got a couple of young guys, Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp, like, pair Robert Williams with them. Not to mention, like, Brogdon is still a good piece, as well as multiple first-round picks and pick swaps, where teams are loath to give a, to give away unprotected first-round picks, and they got two of them uh, for 2029 as well, which means by that point, who knows if Milwaukee or Boston are going to be any good. You know, that's that's six years from now. Who knows what, what they're going to look like at that point. So I really like what the Blazers ended up doing. They they held firm. Uh, they, they still sent Lillard to maybe not his preferred destination, but they still sent him to a destination that I think he can be pretty happy about as like a secondary option and maximized an asset that, let's be honest, was no longer going to continue with the organization and they still got you know this amount of um you know return for him so even though it hurts even though it's it's kind of a sad end to what was uh, a beautiful love story a beautiful pairing between portland and um and dame i think they did the best that they could with the situation that they were that they found themselves in yeah i mean Dame's in his early 30s now. You have failed for over a decade to construct something around him. You're not going to do it now. Like, you missed your chance. So to capitalize on what you have left and really like reset, retool for the future, fantastic. And not to mention, like, I remember back with the NBA draft when we were talking about, like, predicting who was going to go where and everything and we were like scoot is better than brandon miller but brandon miller fits charlotte so they'll take him and that's what ended up happening portland's got to be like oh yeah (laughs) thank you very much for scoot henderson because now we can just like that transition is so much better than the transition would have been from dame to brandon miller it just worked out really seamlessly for them now Will they ever put a championship team together around Scoot Henderson? Probably not under this management, but we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, I, I I will say it's kind of tough when you have LeBron and the Warriors pretty much taking up the majority of Lillard's prime. Like it would have been really like it. It's been tough for any other team really to to make any sort of headway in the past, you know, eight years or whatever it's been. Like, it's been pretty tough. So not to mention the Spurs as well towards the beginning of, of that era. So it's it's hard. <laughs> it's when you don't have somebody like that and when you when that competition is that fierce, it's gonna be tough to to really build somebody that can compete with with those super teams. And 
You know, I also didn't mention Anthony Simons. He still has a lot of potential in my mind. And if you're looking at the Blazers for next season, I mean, let's say that they start Scoot and Simons, and then they still have Jeremy Grant, who they signed to that crazy deal, which, like, I still don't love that deal. But, I mean, he'll still help them win games right now. And then you also got Sharp, and then you've got either Williams or Aiton, whoever you want to start. Like, that's still a pretty solid starting five. And then you still have the other one of Aiton or Williams, plus Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. Like, that's not bad. Um, I think that they can still be fairly competitive in the West, especially because the balance of power right now has kind of shifted more towards the East than the West. Portland could could sneak into the playoffs next year, low-key depending on, you know, how how all these new guys gel and, you know, what Chauncey Billups is able to do with, with his new roster. But I'm all I'm saying is they, they don't look that bad, um, both moving forward and present day with the roster as currently constructed. Like, Chauncey Billups can work with that. Oh, yeah. Like, they definitely made off well. And also just to add another factor that goes into it, it's not easy being Portland, just the city, you know, it's way <laughs> easier to lure uh, free agents to a Boston or a Miami or a Los Angeles, you know, at the end of the day, though, if you're a GM, you have to overcome that. It's not fair, but that's part of being a GM, making those trades and signing those players. It's, um, some teams will mess around and win the championship with an almost exclusively like drafted lineup. But most teams don't. Most teams have good signings that they can point to. And when I look at Portland over the time that they had Damian Lillard, I see a distinct absence of those trades and of those signings. And that's what gets me. Like they drafted all right post Lillard. Not great, not horribly. But they didn't really add anybody along the way. And that's that's what's brutal to me. Like, I know that it's tough. They have some sympathy, but still they didn't pull it off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see if round two, if Scoot <laughs> can be a, a Damian Lillard type talent, which there's no indication that he can. Um, <laughs> I mean, he has the potential to be, I'm sure, but like, this is, we're talking about a top 75 overall, like all-time player probably in Lillard. So. Yeah. yeah. Can Scoot Henderson be great? Yeah, I really believe he can be. But Damian Lillard is beyond great. So we'll see. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he can be an all-NBA player though, but you know, we'll see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. Let me transition to one of my losers from the offseason because I was just talking about with Portland, like, you're Portland. It's really hard to make those signings and make those trades and blah blah You know, you're not a Miami. You know who is a Miami? Freaking Miami. And you know who failed miserably this offseason? Freaking Miami. Like, why is it? Every time there's a star player, like, on the move, Miami's, like, right there at the top of the headlines. Like, oh, they might get this guy, and this time it was Dame. And then it's never Miami getting them. Like, here are some of the players that Miami lost after what has been several, like, successful 
other than winning the championship, they've been really successful the last several years. They've made two finals appearances in like four seasons, including last year. And here's who they lose off of that pretty successful stretch. Max Struess, Gabe Vincent. Uh, these are guys that they have like, you know, pulled just undrafted players that they've pulled up and have turned into really good role players. Uh, Oladipo, Omer Yurtsevin, Cody Zeller's gone. So they, they clear all this way, presumably to clear cap space for a player like Damian Lillard. And then who do they get? Not Dame. They get Thomas Bryant and Josh Richardson again, who I like Josh Richardson, but Josh Richardson is not Dame. Thomas Bryant is not Dame. And the otherwise like collection of shit that they put together for this roster is not Damian Lillard. Not only have you as Miami failed to improve your team, number one. Number two, you actively made it worse. And number three, perhaps most importantly, one of your two biggest rivals competing with you in the East just got way better. Not, I mean, frankly, two of them, two of the th three best teams beside you in the East just got noticeably better while you got noticeably worse. Like, come on, that's pathetic. And, and you're Miami. You have the beaches. You have everything going for you. You have the space. You have theoretically tradable assets, and you still fail to make it work. Like, this is just a complete meltdown on the part of the the Heat front office. And like Pat Riley, at, at the head of that, is like not looking as sharp as he used to. Yeah, I mean, this is the classic case of you put all of your eggs in the Damian Lillard basket and it didn't go well for you. Uh, it's it's tough for the Heat. And also, I, I should remind everybody, they barely snuck into the playoffs last year anyway. Like, they had to win. The Hawks beat them in the play-in, the first play-in game. They had to win that next play-in game to even make it into the playoffs in the first place. And, shocker, uh, you have to make it to the playoffs to make it to the finals. And if that team could barely make the playoffs last year, what what gives you any indication that they're going to be able to make the playoffs again this year? I know you love Jimmy Butler. I think it's been pretty well document, documented that he is a great playoff player. He's not a great regular season player necessarily. And I think at this point in his career, he really is. He's kind of like LeBron in a way of like, you're kind of saving your body and saving your energy as much as you can for the playoffs because that, that grind of the, you know, the regular season is going to be tough on you. And I don't know, like you said, the rest of the Eastern conference is looking pretty good and you already struggled last year. So yeah, I think the the heat, they swung, they, they swung for the fences and they struck out miserably and they'll still be competitive. I'm sure they still have the, their whole aura, their whole culture going on, which should make them at least competitive, but it's definitely not the off season that Miami thought that they were going to have. Like Miami is 
arguably the best team in the NBA when it comes to player development. So that's good if you're like Hame Hawkes, but that is a very piss poor consolation prize in the Damian Lillard sweepstakes. It definitely is. And that kind of brings me to my first loser, aka losers, which includes the Heat, but really it's everybody in the Eastern Conference except for the Bucks and the Celtics. I think the way that this that you know this whole Damian Lillard trade and then the fall, you know, the ensuing trade of Drew Holiday was about the worst that it could have gone if you're the Sixers, the Heat, the Knicks, the Hawks, etc. Like you're sitting there going, man, it was already a bloodbath. And now Lillard is on the Bucks with Giannis and Drew Holiday is replacing Marcus Smart. Not to mention they got Porzingis too. It's like, uh, hold up. This sucks. And you've seen that with Jimmy Butler with his freaking emo hair and Embiid tweeting like, well, this offseason has been fun. Uh, they know. Like, this is tough. And that's that's without even mentioning the whole James Harden thing, who I also considered putting a loser as well, considering he's still stuck in Philadelphia and doesn't want to be there. Although at this point, who takes him? Like, he's only going to be there for a season, and he's probably not going to be performing up to the levels that you're, you're paying for. Um, but yeah, it's tough to be in the Eastern Conference right now. If I'm in the West, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I think we might have a chance. I mean, the Suns, we'll see how it all looks, you know, after everything that they've done this offseason. But in the East, it's, that's looking really tough. And it was already tough before, and now it's even tougher. So as Hawks fans, it kind of sucks because I think we're definitely going to be relegated to that bottom half of the playoff tier and hopefully have to spring a couple upsets to make the finals, which is unfortunate. But you know, in terms of in terms of the the franchises who went and and made the moves, like you have to give credit to the Bucks and the Celtics for, you know, kind of making their own tier, I think, at the top of the Eastern Conference. Yeah. I mean, absolutely credit where it's due. It sucks to be a Hawks fan. Not that it's ever been all that fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say. Hey, yeah. we had that one year. Yeah, yeah, we did, didn't we? Uh, we didn't finish. And then we got swept by LeBron. But, uh-huh. you know. yeah. Oh, we also had that one year where we got to the conference finals, and then we had injuries and didn't make it. But that was a fun time. Uh, pain in the ass. I still maintain we would have beat Phoenix in the finals. But... I won't spend more than like 20, 25 seconds on this, but damn it, man. Like what the hell? If you're a Hawks fan, you know, the struggle. If you're a fan of a like team, you know, the struggle, like I'm thinking about Utah, right? This has been y'all's story forever. Oh, we're always good. We're never great. Damn it. If that's not the most annoying thing in sports, at least like pro sports where where there's the draft involved, right? Um, Like, that's moderately comforting in college, you know? 
if you're like a consistent like winning record program that's cool you know whatever maybe you'll do better next year but sports where you depend so heavily on a draft lottery uh to to re-up your talent and gain new like playmakers the hawks are never in a position to get a good one we got kobe buffkin who i like but is not gonna be a star it's it's a solid pick it's a smart pick it's not a like there's not really much star potential there we lose john collins which i understand but like this is what our offseason was i'm looking at a hawks team that's going to win plenty of regular season games make the playoffs and get th- like summarily dismissed from there we won't get a good draft pick next year we still have the same basic structure in the east we like like i see damian lillard get traded to milwaukee and one of my first thoughts is well the hawks maybe could have beaten the bucks before but not anymore so like what's the like the next few years are just treadmill of mediocrity all over again damn it that was a little bit longer than 25 seconds, but I understand. You needed to get that off your chest. And I'm glad that this podcast provided you the space to do that. Uh, do you want to switch back and talk about a winner now? Yeah. Even though my second winner is just me being, well, a shady bitch. Um, it's Chris Paul. Because Chris Paul, you know, in general, got his best case scenario. He got to go to a team that already had championship aspirations and is not going to ask him to do all that much. It's a ring chaser's delight. Like he didn't get onto the best team, but it's the Warriors with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Like we know that the Warriors can compete any given year when they have those three players. Chris Paul goes there. One of the first headlines that comes out is, will he go to the bench? Like Chris Paul gets to go to a team where it's like a lesser version of when KD went there, a much lesser version. Don't get me wrong, but like, Oh wow. Y'all were already one of the like really good teams in the West. You already had a shot at the finals. Here's this guy that hasn't won a ring yet, but really wants one. Can you find a, room for him and they're like yeah sure and chris paul's like sweet my my chances of a ring just went up uh if you want more like basketball analysis than like pettiness i could talk about how like chris paul gets to assume the role of at times the primary playmaker at times the secondary playmaker uh we'll see how that interplay between him and steph curry goes uh he has plenty of options to pass to including one of the best catch and shoot players of all time in uh clay thompson he and steph can alternate not just ball handling responsibilities but like court presence uh they can stagger chris paul and steph curry where even if they start at the same time they're not playing identical minutes uh and if steph hits the bench is there a better guy to fall back on to lead the unit than chris paul like come on even though he's coming off like one of his worst seasons in a while like this is a great opportunity for him to take that step back as he's you know, entering the twilight of his career, uh, provide valuable minutes to a contending team. But I think it's funny <laughs> that it's Chris Paul. Yeah, I mean, it is a little different because he got traded there via Washington. So it's like, 
he just kind of ended up in that situation. It's not like that's the situation that he was necessarily intending on. Um, and I think, you know, it, it is a good fit. I think he is a winner in this situation. He's probably going to be a much better fit on that team than Jordan Poole was. That's true. And, I, you know, I think Chris Paul, at the end of the day, like, he can definitely learn something from those guys. And at the end of the day, all, all Chris Paul cares about is winning. And they, the Warriors have been one of the best examples of winning that we've seen in the NBA, like in modern NBA history. And so I think that is a very intriguing um, combination is, you know, him being able to fulfill that type of role. And honestly, it'll be interesting to see, can Chris Paul, is he fine taking a back seat in a way? Because it's Steph's team. You know, and then if it's not Steph's team, it's Draymond's team and it's Clay's team. And then Chris Paul is also there, which he hasn't really had to deal with that too much in his career. Um, even with the Suns, like, yeah, you could argue Booker was the best player, but Chris Paul was still, that was still his team. And he's experienced that over and over and over again. He's had superstar teammates, but he's kind of still the leader. Now he's going to have to take a step back. But if you think about it, it's also for all those young players that they have too, he's a great guy to learn from as well um, in different ways than Steph and, and Clay and Draymond could teach you. Um, you know, Chris Paul is going to be able to teach you some things as well from his career. So it's very interesting. That's that's one of those those things that, I'm going to be watching pretty intently to see how they utilize him, how the warrior season goes and all that. But now it's time for me to get into a winner. And I, I do want to say that I had, I wasn't quite sure about this when it happened. Okay. When Brad Stevens announced that he was, or the, I guess the Celtics announced that Brad Stevens was going to be moving into the front office and out of head coaching. I was pretty confused. That was a few years ago now. I remember sitting there being like, but Brad Stevens is one of the better coaches in the NBA. Why is he moving into a general manager role or a you know front office role? Now Danny Inge had left. And I've got to say, you got to give credit to Brad Stevens because he was a great coach. And I think he's proving to be a great general manager as well because what the Celtics have done this offseason has been absolutely huge and honestly vital in terms of them maintaining their uh, their place at, you know, at or near the top of the East. I just want to kind of move through some of the, um, um, the, the trades that Brad Stevens has... Um, masterminded this offseason. So I think it's kind of lost that they got Porzingis. Like, I think people just aren't really thinking about that. But what an addition that is for them. I think he ha he still hasn't lived up to his potential, but when he's the fourth option, that's kind of crazy. Not to mention the fact that, yeah, they lost Robert Williams. Porzingis is a different kind of player, of course, but offensively speaking, they're going to be a lot better off. 
especially if, you, you know, they lost Grant Williams, whatever, you get Porzingis. That's totally fine. One of the picks that they got in that trade, where also they give up Marcus Smart, is that Golden State first rounder that they ended up using in that Drew Holiday trade. So it wasn't even, like, they just flipped that in order to get Drew Holiday. And let's be honest, Drew is a, a like a luxury version of Marcus Smart. Um, he's, he's better in pretty much every category that you could possibly think of. And I remember when they traded smart, I was like, dang, that's, that's kind of weird. Like smart is one of their like identity players. Well, if you can think of anybody to be a replacement for Marcus smart, that's going to be a, an upgrade and provide a lot of the same things, but better it's drew holiday. So what a masterstroke that was. If I could just add real quick to that. Marcus Smart gets a ton of credit for his perimeter defense. Deservedly so. He's great. But winning Defensive Player of the Year when Drew Holiday exists is a travesty. Like, Drew Holiday is the most slept-on player in the NBA. And he's, I've got to say, the best defender in basketball right now. Yeah, like it's an, and that's not to mention, I mean, you said every way. Better shooting, better playmaking, better driving. But Marcus Smart's calling card is still not as good as Drew Holiday. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's definitely true. And I've been mentioning Drew. I mean, giving up Robert Williams is tough. There's no doubt about that. I think Brogdon is totally fine to lose because that relationship was kind of soured anyway after all the trade rumors going on about him. And he was dealing with that injury too. Like, I don't think that's a huge loss for him. Um, but I think right now it's almost like both the Bucks and the Celtics are really, you know, make like they're eliminating a little bit of their depth in order to really start maxing out, you know, the number of of really effective stars that they have and to be honest, like potential all-stars that they have. Like when you look at the Celtics, Drew, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Porzingis, and then I guess Horford is who they'll start at the five. Like four out of those five guys could realistically make the all-star team next year, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, And they all, you know, obviously they signed Jalen Brown to that crazy extension too, which let's be honest, it's an overpay. There's no doubt about that. But you can't let him go either. And the way that the NBA works now, that's what they had to do to keep him. They had to keep him. And now they have arguably the best, you know, one through four of any team in the NBA. So you got to give it to Brad Stevens. I mean, just an amazing job. And I shouldn't have doubted that move because – He's just picking up where Danny Inge left off. So shout out to Brad Stevens for another masterclass. I think you cut out at least on my end. Um, uh, So I lost what you said, like he's picking up. He's picking up where Danny Inge left off. Oh. Yeah, like... It's how you said, yeah, really like the way you had said it when we were talking about losers, you said anyone but 
Milwaukee and Boston in the East. Like, the Damian Lillard trade goes down, but Boston does so well that they don't even really have to worry that much. Like, Milwaukee is their prime competition, but they also got better. And it's because of all of what you just laid out. Like, Drew Holiday marked improvement. Poor Zingas. Like, yeah, you take the pressure off this unicorn player and say, hey, you're the fourth option now. Like, that's freeing as hell. If you And if, if you're Boston, like, that's great for Porzingis. If you're Boston, you don't even need Porzingis to ball out. Like, you're free to just, like, let him do whatever because you have Jason Tatum, you have Jalen Brown, you have Drew Holiday, like, and you have Horford there mentoring him. Like, across the board, like, what a great job they've done in Boston. Absolutely agree. Now, I mean... They oh they could they could never have expected that Drew Holiday would become available. Like it's one of those things where they they jumped on it and they capitalized. And it sucks like I said, it sucks to give up Robert Williams for sure in the first rounder and stuff, but when you have that opportunity, they were probably like their eyes were like falling out of their heads when they saw that. Like, wait, you're telling me that drew holiday they're probably like if we could add anybody to our roster that's not like an all nba player it's it's drew holiday and let's be direct here like not only do they get better and match like match the bucks in terms of improving drew holiday is the direct counter to adding damian lillard to the bucks like Oh, what are you gonna do when you face the Bucks and they have Damian Lord? Oh, we're gonna put Drew Holiday on him. Are you kidding me? Like, it works so perfectly, contrasted against their top competition for the NBA championship. They knocked it out of the park. The only thing they could have possibly done better was not let the Bucks get Dame. But in the world in which that did happen, they just did the next best thing and got a stopper who will be consistent for them all season. Like incredibly like great performance by uh, the Celtics there on all fronts. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even mention Derek white in any of that, but he really is the one that made Marcus smart expendable because true defensively. I mean, also what a trade that Brad Stevens pulled off to get Derek white as well. But like that was, that was the reason why they probably felt comfortable letting Marcus Smart go is because Derek White is a very, very good 3 and D option, better shooter than Marcus Smart for sure, and has continued to improve every year. So as a, as a sixth man, like, yeah, Derek White is looking really, really nice. So anyway, yeah, the Celtics, Brad Stevens did, did really, really well, I think, this offseason. Now, Mike, who's your second loser? Your final loser, I guess. So let's recap something real quick. We talked about the Bucks being able to keep Brooke Lopez. We talked about the Celtics jumping on pieces when they were available. Remember when the Rockets were like the team that was going to sign Brooke Lopez? Because I vaguely remember that. And then it just fell through. Well, how did the Rockets get to that point? Well, they dealt um, Ty Ty Washington, who... You know, we don't like, but he has potential. They they dealt Usman Garuba, also potential. And when you're the Rockets, 
priority number one really needs to be accumulating young talent with loads of potential. These are the kind of guys that match their timeline, a.k.a. a TBD timeline, right? Like, eh, we're just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. That's their timeline. Those guys match that. So they deal those guys away because they think they're going to get Brooke Lopez, and then they don't. So they've lost those two assets, and they respond by throwing a shit ton of money at Fred Van Vliet, a three-year, $130 million deal, and then Dylan Brooks on a four-year, $86 million deal. And I don't understand either of these. <laughs> like, if you're the Rockets... Okay, first of all, you add Van Vliet, you add Dylan Brooks. Those players do not make you competitors at all, but they make you win more games. Which means these players, you're paying these players an exorbitant amount of money to kind of screw you over by preventing you from getting a better pick next year. And if you're looking at, like, culture building, Fred Van Vliet is fine, like, as a, a locker room presence. Is Dylan Brooks the kind of influence you want in your locker room with all these young guys? I can't imagine so. I mean... He was the most hated player on the most hated team in the NBA last year. And we talked at the time about the value of like a, a gritty, like, you know, two-way player like that. But he also brings so much baggage with him. And if you're Houston, like you're trying to move on from like the James Harden stuff. That was not the cleanest of departures. You want to you know, build up a, a clean, like, public image. You want to put your young guys in a position to succeed both on and off the court. And I don't see Dylan Brooks being the guy for that. Like, this is a guy you add to a championship-level team. It's not a guy you add to a collection of young guys. I just don't see it. And they're paying so much money to do it over multi-year deals. So if in a year or two, like, so... If a year or two down the road, a guy comes and they're like, oh, this would be a great addition to the team, both on and off the court. They can't do it. They've kind of just pissed away that cap room that they had built up. And for what? And these aren't even tradable deals. Like, no one's going to really want to trade like a quality asset for Dylan Brooks because of the baggage. And no one's going to want to trade to pay that much money for Fred Van Vliet. Like... If you're the Rockets, it's kind of like you just, you know, made signings for the sake of making signings. And I, I'm i looking at their roster. I don't know what's going to happen. Also, when you're Fred Van Vliet, that's like you're getting paid to take minutes away from the players that you have recently drafted, like Jalen Green, like Amen Thompson coming in. Like there's mentorship and then there's, Fred Van Vliet, who's there to usurp the minutes and the touches and all this. Yeah, it's it's a pretty much an about face from the way that they've been operating over the past few seasons. I think maybe they were really tired of losing and they were like, you know, no one else is willing to pay Fred Van Vliet this amount of money, so we're going to. And you know what? No one really wants Dylan Brooks, so we're going to get him, you know? Um What's interesting is that in terms of the mentorship, they've got Boban and they've got Jeff Green, Uncle Jeff. Like, 
when you if you want two guys who are really good in the locker room who aren't going to necessarily you know play a whole bunch of minutes every night those are the types of guys that i'm looking at and i'm like yeah these are great guys to have around these young players makes total sense um even fred van vliet to a degree i can understand um if you want that that like star level player it's only three years it's not like a huge commitment the dylan brooks one is the one that is pretty confusing to me which i don't, I just don't really understand it you have amen thompson you have tari eason like just play the just just play them instead you don't need dylan brooks it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me um now kevin porter jr who knows what's going to happen with him his time with the rockets might be over um so if that's the case then that kind of frees up some of those minutes so it makes it look a little bit better but at the end of the day yeah it's it was a pretty confusing it's kind of like they instead of going all in for the youth movement they kind of went the other way and spent a whole lot of money on a couple guys where they're not really going to move the needle too too much for you and yeah it's an interesting choice for sure not to mention if you're Dylan Brooks, like you sign with probably the worst team in the NBA. And a few months prior, you were on a team where, you know, if your star point guard can get his act together, let's say, like you're a competitive team. But you, not only were you not wanted. You couldn't get a deal with any competitive team. Like, you you just kind of messed yourself up. Like, you put yourself in this position where no one really wanted to give you the money. And so you went from a competitive team. And, like, he has the skill to be on a competitive team. But he just kind of checked himself. And now he's stuck in Houston like that. For sure. So now it's time for my second loser and to wrap up this segment. I mentioned him earlier. DeAndre Ayton is my second loser. And the reason why I say that is, let's say, okay, you're in the shoes of DeAndre Ayton. You were drafted number one overall ahead of Luca and ahead of Trey. You, you know, you're on the Suns. You pair with Devin Booker, you know, you have a solid rookie year, nothing spectacular, but, you know, not too bad. Pretty much every year, you maybe get a little bit better in terms of your stats, but pretty insignificant. You know, Chris Paul is there. Kevin Durant comes. You sign Bradley Beal. It's like, man, this is actually looking pretty good. Oh, wait. The Suns don't actually believe in me anymore. I'm only 25, and yet they can't wait to get rid of this contract. Which, oh, by the way, you you thought you were going to get what you wanted by going to the Pacers until the Suns ended up matching that offer sheet that they signed for you. Now you're shipped off to the Trailblazers off of arguably one of the top contenders for the title next year, and... You're thinking, oh, okay, well, at least I'm going to the Trailblazers. They traded away Nurkic. 
I'm going to be the starting center. Like, there's going to be no competition for minutes whatsoever. I'm going to be just fine. Oh, wait. They're trading for who? Robert Williams? The guy who's probably going to outplay, like, outplay me. Maybe he's going to get hurt, but he's probably going to be better than me. Can we coexist? Wait, I never really learned how to shoot? Um, Crap. Like... (laughs) DeAndre Ayton has just really, it's been a combination of both him not living up to his potential and maybe getting a little bit overdrafted and also just kind of bad luck. Like I thought when him going to the Trailblazers, I was thinking, you know, maybe this could be okay for him. He gets a, you know, a change of scenery, a fresh start, you know, gets to play with some young guys, whatever. And then they get Robert Williams and I'm like, well, if I have the option of who I want to start, I'm going to start Robert Williams because he's going to make a bigger impact. And you can't, I mean, you can start Aiden and Williams together, but not really because the Blazers don't have great shooting. Like Scoot Henderson isn't the guy that you want to pair with those two. Um, And not to mention, they already have Jeremy Grant, who's probably going to play at the four. So what are they going to do? Are they going to bring Aiton off the bench? They're probably going to bring Robert Williams off the bench, which I think is a mistake. But all I'm saying is, Aiton, it just things really haven't gone well for him. Um, it's been it's been pretty pretty unfortunate. It's one of those things where like, no, he's not an Anthony Bennett. Like, he's still a good player. But in terms of number one overall picks go, like he's stuck in that purgatory of yeah, he's fine, but he's he's not going to live up to his potential and now he's in portland saying that his new nickname is dominating which sorry dude you've the only thing that that's happened is you've gotten dominated in the playoffs like i'm sorry dude it's it's just it's it's gone from bad to worse for you i feel bad but that's the way that i see it i i see him as as a, a big loser of this offseason and you know, I thought he was going to be okay until the Robert Williams trade came up, and I was like, "Ooh, this might actually not go well." It's funny how similarly we think because that was my exact thought process, at least in terms of this trade. You know, you went the extra mile with the whole history of DeAndre Ayton, but yeah, I was excited for him when I saw his name attached to that trade. I was like, "Oh, great! Nurkic fits the Suns better." And Aiton gets a fresh start. Perfect. No, don't screw him over like that. No, not Robert Williams. The problem... Well, there are many. Uh, I like Aiton. Aiton is one of those players that exists in a league that's not suited for him. Aiton, in 2000, is a much better player. Aiton does not fit that well in 2023 as a number one pick. Like you said, Aiton's a good player, but number one pick, like, you can't be competing, no shade at all, but you can't be competing with Robert Williams. Like, if you were a number one pick, then Robert Williams being traded for, that news should be, okay, there's my backup. Not, 
oh crap, is he going to steal my starting job? Like that's rough. And I wanted him in Indiana because I love that fit for him, a fresh start. And, you know, we talked about Miles Turner uh, on a past episode as fitting Phoenix. Well, like I would have loved to see that as a trade. This is brutal. There are plenty of teams where Aiton fits better. I just don't know what this is going to look like. There are multiple areas where, you know, if he would get better at this, his position looks a lot better. Like if you were just a little bit better of a three-point shooter, if you were just a little bit better of a rim protector, then like maybe they can coexist. But as they are currently, no, <laughs> they really can't. And like you said, not with Scoot. No, <laughs> like this is, this is just tough. So what he needs to do is start dominating in practice and earn that starting job short of a really good like training camp Robert Williams is better than him at least more efficient how about that Mm -hmm. for sure so that's going to wrap up this segment Um, obviously there were some other big trades a lot of moving parts as there always are in the NBA offseason but looking forward to the season starting uh, we're going to be releasing our tier list as we do um, on the next episode. So make sure that you are subscribed and following us and all that kind of stuff to make sure you you hear that if you're wanting more NBA content. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to get into our top five. So like Dave mentioned earlier in the episode, we are going to talk about our top five arenas our top five stadiums our top five game locations uh in sports so you know it's episode 65 so this is our top five for this episode we'll have another in five episodes so let us know on social media facebook twitter and instagram what kind of top five you would like to see this top five we will be posting on social media uh it so happens that we'll have 10 between the two of us, which is how many pictures you get on an Instagram post. So what we're going to do is post all ten, a picture of all 10 of these uh, after the episode comes out, probably that next week. So be on the lookout for a visual version of this edition of Top 5. But for the audio version, Dave, go ahead and kick us off. Give us your Top 5 Sports Arenas. Okay. So obviously this is very tough because there are a lot of factors that go into this um there are a lot of different sports there there are arenas all over the world and with this game there can only be five so there will be plenty of honorable mentions i am sure at the end um also to be honest i tried to not like put too much time into this just because if i did i would be sitting here forever trying to figure out exactly which ones i liked the most but they're just there are literally thousands of them so i did my best so number five i also i will say i tried to do a few different sports as well and not just stick to you know just baseball because i think baseball has the best stadium slasher you know fields of of any sport in my opinion but um, I tried to mix it up a bit as well. So number five, and I was kind of loath to do this because, uh, 
one of my least favorite sports teams in the world plays here, but it's Madison Square Garden. Uh, it had to come in at number five for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just one of the most famous sports arenas in the world. It is iconic for many reasons. Uh, obviously, it hosts the Rangers. It hosts the Knicks. So, haven't seen too many championships in terms of uh, at least the Knicks. I had to mention that. Um, but also, it, it used to be the um, the boxing capital of the world as well. That's where Ali Frazier was. Uh, not to mention the fact that it's one of the you know most trafficked and most heavily used uh, you know venues in the world for anything, whether that's shows, um, you know, music anything like that. So it's just one of those places that is iconic. And no matter where you play, or I guess who you play for, or where you come from, Madison Square Garden is kind of one of those things where when you step onto that court or onto the ice or onto the stage or whatever, it's one of those things where like, this is New York, this is the big time, all the lights are on me, it's time to go and put on a show. So it came in at number five, but just barely. Uh, number four is an interesting one. Uh, maybe a, a bit of a dark horse in a way. It's the Estadio Azteca, which is where the Mexican national team, soccer national team, plays their games. Um, it's in Mexico City, and it's one of those. It's one of the most iconic uh, venues in the world. One interesting note about it is that it is very. It's kind of like Denver in that it's um, way high above sea level. It's 7,200 feet above sea level. So it's one of those things where it's it's a tough place for people to come and play. Um, the atmosphere is absolutely crazy. If you look up videos of you know games being played there, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, it's also seen some of the best games in the world. It's hosted a couple of World Cup finals. Um a couple of very famous matches um, where Diego Maradona scored the goal of the century, the hand of God goal, all of that. Um, so it's just one of those venues. And I had to include, I had to include a, um, a soccer one in here because there are so many iconic ones across the world, but I ended up choosing this one because, you know, I've also seen the, the U S not, been there personally but i've watched the u.s play there and it's just one of those like i can't imagine being an opponent and playing on that field and trying to deal with that it's just crazy um number three is a little bit of a homer pick but also just natural i think it is the best nfl stadium out there and it's u.s bank stadium aka the home of the minnesota vikings um if you have like I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on it because it's Minnesota. You don't really hear a lot about it. When you think about fancy stadiums, you think about, you know, Dallas or you think about the new one in Oakland where the Raiders play. But U.S. Bank Stadium is absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's an indoor venue, which obviously you're in Minnesota. It has to be. But half of the roof is transparent and the wall behind the end zone you can is glass, so you can see all of downtown Minneapolis behind it. Um, a lot of natural light, and they they have some like some great 
like they have the horn that they blow and they have the skull uh clap and everything too it's one of those places where and also like they love their football as well so it's one of those those places where it's a great and you know environment's great atmosphere state-of-the-art facility uh all of that so i think u.s bank stadium is probably the the best nfl stadium out there in terms of um you know combining all of those things so number two this is definitely a homer pick is truest park uh home of the atlanta braves and i am going to cheat a little bit i'm going to include the battery as part of this because it is a part of it honestly this is pretty much the first of its kind we've started seeing more you know newer stadiums including this including these additional uh you know multi-purpose recreational spaces around it but the battery is is the first of its kind where they have you know a lot of restaurants office buildings apartments um you know shopping all that kind of stuff it really is kind of a its own living breathing thing um and obviously the center of it is Braves baseball but there's so much else to do that it also help you know it's a great environment to be in it's also a great place to be they did it extremely well and tastefully and it's been a a major financial boon as well for the Braves and so much so that there are a lot of other places that are trying to you know do something similar because of the success that they've had it's a great place to go watch a game uh I am actually going to be going to one of the playoff games which when you hear this It'll be in a few days' time, uh, one of the NLDS games. So I am very excited for that. Um, also, the atmosphere is very, very good there. When they turn the lights off and everybody does has their phones uh, out and everything, it is crazy. Uh, so I am very much looking forward to that. And you know, partly due to personal experience, I think it's it's one of the best stadiums out there. So that just leaves number one. And I knew this was going to be on the list, but I ended up having to put it at number one. It's Fenway Park. Um, It's one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic, you know, U.S. field or arena or whatever you want to call it. Um, Definitely one of the oldest. The the Green Monster, the Pesky Pole, the the weird dimensions, all the history... So many good teams and players have played there and it's still the same and it's a great, you know, place to, to go watch a game. My parents went, uh, I think last year or something, I was very jealous, but it's just one of those, one of those places that I'm going to need to go and, you know, at some point in my life to go and, and watch a game at Fenway park because it's just, it's iconic. Um, and they would never build a stadium like that now. But the fact that it's still in play and the fact that just in general, every baseball stadium is unique and different with different dimensions. You don't, you're not going to see that in any other sport. And the fact that, uh, you know, Truist Park and Fenway Park are, are used in the same sport in the same league, but are so completely different. Um, and so great in their own different ways. It's just a really, really cool thing. So I just, I appreciate the history and, um, the architecture and, and, and all, and everything that goes into Fenway. So I have that as number one shout out to Wrigley field, but 
it's not quite as cool looking. So, sorry. Okay, so I definitely like that list. Uh, I will say you saved me a lot of trouble in the honorable mention department. <laughs> like, Fenway okay. Park, check. U.S. Bank Stadium, agreed. Best stadium in the NFL, check. Um, Wrigley Field, check. And let me just... Um, Skip to an honorable mention, Soldier Field. Chicago has cool stadiums, man. So, yeah. Uh, oh, and Madison Square Garden. Iconic, elite stadium uh, venue, right? Like, if we go beyond the sports, like you're talking about all the shows, like uh, whether that's concerts, whether that's like, if you're a comedian, like the pinnacle of success is performing at MSG. And that's kind of the case for any entertainer. You know, short of like a movie actor or something, you know. Um, yeah, athletically, they're marred by shit <laughs> like the Knicks. Uh, but let's see. Let me get to number five. Remember earlier I said I would be cheating a lot in this episode? Mm-hmm. So this place deserved attention, but I'm going to let you decide if it gets to be considered a stadium or arena for number five. And if not, then I'll just make an honorable mention and say that Madison square garden is number five (laughs) Rucker park. It's not a stadium, but it's the Mecca of basketball. It is as iconic of a arena, right? Um, In terms of where people go to play as exists, like, this is where street ball was born. And moreover, it's where NBA legends honed their crafts often before even getting to the NBA. We look at Kareem, you look at Wilt, you look at KD, you look at Dr. J. Like these are all players that grew up on Rucker Park. This is where we get the tournaments every year, like in the center of Harlem, right? Right off Frederick Douglass Boulevard. Like I can go ahead and just say like that deserved attention and put Madison square garden at number five. If you want to be like, no pick a stadium or since you had Madison square garden at number five, then I'll pick another different one that would have been an honorable mention. But if you're cool with it, if I have the Dave stamp of approval, that's my number five. I'll give it to you. Uh, That's, I wasn't really thinking in terms of like, a place where professional sports aren't played or collegiate. Cause I also didn't pick any like college football stadiums or anything, which I bet you probably are. Um, but it's still a, I mean, it's still a place where people play. It's famous. So I'll give it to you. It's not, it's not what I was thinking, but I mean, it's your list. So why not? Hey, okay. Uh, then at five, we have Rucker park. All right. At number four, we just saw a game there between the Falcons and Jags. It's Wembley Stadium. Wembley is cool, man. Uh, more uh, more frequently, they host Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, this is in Wembley in the, uh, in the UK. So we're stepping outside of our country. I mean, you did this with um, Estadio Azteca, but like Wembley is just gorgeous to me. Everything about that stadium is super unique, super cool to me. So I had to throw that on there aesthetically above mm-hmm. all else. Um, number three, 
I'm putting the TD Garden, and I'm putting it with an asterisk because if renovations and all this had never happened, if it was still the Boston Garden, it'd be number two, if not number one. Because the Boston Garden was something else. But despite renovations, what the TD Garden still maintains is its championship pedigree in history. And the classic style, like, appearance of it all, like, what you were saying about Fenway is me with the TD Garden. Like, I don't like the Celtics, but I want to see a game at the TD Garden. Um, Like, in a similar way to Rucker Park, like, when I think of, like, basketball history, like, there are a few places that come to mind. And it's realistically, like, Rucker Park, TD Garden, and Staples Center. Which didn't make my list, but, you know. Um, there's something about going in and having all the banners, too. <laughs> and the unique hardwood. Um, <laughs> if only, right? At, at number two, it's funny uh, that you put Truist Park at number two, because I'm going State Farm Arena. <laughs> let's let's let the homerism shine. Uh, I'm putting State Farm Arena, previously Phillips Arena, here, because far and away i've been there the most and i have the most memories attached to it i think it's cool in and of itself anyway i think going to a game there is a ton of fun i love that they have atlanta like spelled out in the huge letters going across like the front of the arena um the dominique wilkins statue is a beautiful touch it's also nice being in such close proximity to mercedes-benz that like when you pull up you have those two like titans of stadiums just very close together. I think that's a cool touch to the city. Um, but above all else, like this is a sentimental pick for me. And number one, everyone knew what it was going to be, and it's both sentimental and non-sentimental. I've got a number for you, and that number is 107,601. That's the seating capacity of Michigan Stadium, the big house. Uh, and that's been exceeded <laughs> numerous times in the last few years alone. Upwards of 115,000 people at the stadium. That makes it the biggest stadium in the U.S. It makes it the biggest sporting arena in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> like, I think it's third in the world, in fact, um, of like purely sports arenas. Um it's not just that it's big, though. It's that it is iconic, in part for its size, in part for its, like, atmosphere and general, like, appearance. Um, obviously, like, I am a Michigan fan, so there's that as well. But on reputation alone, like, I'm looking at the big house. It is known far and wide for what it is, and that is a massive environment that accommodates literally over 100,000 fans that tend to sell out on a weekly basis like you talk about tough environments to play there is always going to be that many people there pretty much um so yeah at number one i have to, i had to go to the big house um and i guess i'll just go first for honorable mentions just because i only have one left that hasn't been mentioned and and this was not gonna make my top five i want to shout out how unique albertson stadium is that's Boise State's football field, the blue field. I 
am glad I'm not a Boise State fan because I think that would get kind of old uh, seeing it every week. But I think that's really cool. Like that they looked at something like the color of grass and were like, everyone does this the exact same way. We're going to change it up. We don't care like how different that looks. In fact, that's what we're going for. We want to be known as someone that goes like way out into left field to make a statement, to do something for the sake of like being unique, for the sake of being special. Um, so while I can't say it's my favorite looking, I really love the uh, the gusto that goes into taking an idea like that and going, why not flip this on its head? Let's make it blue. Screw it. For sure. Yeah, that it definitely is iconic, even if it is a little bit of a headache to look at. Um, yeah, honorable mentions that I have. Um, there are a lot of different soccer ones, to be honest. Uh, honestly, I think Mercedes-Benz is a, a fantastic place to watch a game, whether that's Atlanta United or the Falcons. Um, in terms of other venues, uh, Old Trafford, home of Manchester United, that's as iconic as it gets. Wembley Stadium, as you mentioned, that's also where you know, most of England's uh, like national team and the, it's where the FA Cup is played every final is every year and all that. So there's a lot of history there too. That's a good one. Uh, the Camp Nou and the Bernabeu in Spain, homes of Barcelona and Real Madrid respectively, are as iconic as it gets. Uh, San Siro in Milan, where AC Milan play and Inter Milan play. Um, and then Signal Iduna Park, uh, home of Borussia Dortmund as well. If you want to see a freaking intimidating atmosphere, then look that up because, wow. Um, the yellow wall is as intimidating as it gets. So those are some big ones for me. In turn, terms of other baseball parks that I like, Oracle Park, home of the Giants, is really, really beautiful. Obviously, has the, the San Francisco Bay behind it. Um, just a, a beautiful stadium. PNC Park as well in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's got the rivers next to it. Basically, if you have water next to the stadium, I like it. <laughs> um, there's something about the fact that like, if you hit a ball far enough, it'll go into a body of water that entices me. Um, so I love those. And then you have to mention, I mentioned them a little bit before, but AT&T Stadium in Dallas and then the new stadium that they built in Las Vegas for the Raiders too. Those are, you can't deny those are like architectural masterpieces. Um, so those are some other good ones. There are a lot of different places to go. And if I had an unlimited budget, and didn't have to work, one thing that I would definitely do is go and travel the world and go to, a, you know, all these different iconic locations and and watch a game because it's it's one of those, those really cool things. It's, it combines so many different areas, you, you know, obviously sport, but history, technology, architecture, um, you know, all those things, as well as being with a bunch of fans of, you know, of, of a place too in the atmosphere. So really, really cool. And hopefully I'll be, I'll get to go to a few more in my time, but yeah, I think that that is our top five wrapped up. And when we come back, it's time to wrap up the show. Um, after we do our hot seat and fun fact. So it's time for this episode's edition of the hot seat. 
So, Cleveland Guardians manager Terry Francona has had his scooter stolen. Now, you might be thinking, wait, did I just time warp or did my Spotify just glitch out and put me on episode 47 of the Mike and Dave podcast? I've heard this already. Deja vu. Blah, blah, blah. No, that did not happen. So let me revise this. Cleveland Guardians manager Terry Francona has his scooter stolen again. What the hell, man? I mean, to give context, in case we have any new listeners as well, which if you are new, hello, welcome. Terry Francona is a beloved baseball figure. He's been a manager for a long time in Cleveland. And this weekend was going to be his last weekend as a manager. He's going to retire. He's old. He's had a bunch of health problems. So he's going to go ahead and call it quits. Okay. So they're not going to make the postseason or anything, his Guardians team. So this was going to be it. And he always rides the scooter to the games through the streets of Cleveland. And it's a very popular thing. Like it's a very notorious thing in Cleveland for him to do. So this got, it got stolen in January and they ended up recovering it and everything was fine. Well, apparently about a week and a half ago, well, maybe two weeks when you're listening to this, it got stolen. Except this time, apparently they stripped it of everything. And when they found it, it was basically just a shell of its former self and completely unrideable. So I don't know what kind of person decides to target this poor old guy who's retiring after a bunch of health problems are keeping him from the game. Why, why he's that target instead of just going to your local, like, I don't even know who sells scooters, but you know, like going to your local, you know, establishment or whatever and, and trying to, to steal from them. No, let's target Terry Francona and his, you know, his famous scooter so that he can't do his like traditional ride to the games. It's just one of those acts of villainy that makes my skin crawl. You should feel ashamed of yourself. Random scooter thief. Um, I do have to say saying Grand Theft Scooter does bring me a little bit of joy because it's funny. But in all seriousness, I feel bad for the guy. But you know what? He still had a a good sense of humor about it. He was joking about it to the media. Uh, But can you believe that? They did it again. And then they just stripped it of all of its parts. Completely unusable. It's just, it's tragedy, honestly. Don't chop shop my man's scooter. Uh, so you said Grand Theft Scooter is fun to say, and I'll do you one better. Grand Theft Scooter 2. <laughs> like, the <laughs> sequel that we never knew we were going to get. Uh, when we were preparing for the podcast, I was going back through and like looking at some of the, the notes that I had made for those episodes, Hot Seat members, and I was like, oh, look, Draymond Green again. Like, you know, a couple of guys that ended up making multiple appearances. Elite company. Never in my wildest dreams did I think Grand Theft Scooter 
would have a sequel they would make a second hot seat appearance but this is the world we live in apparently shit's wacky man i don't know yeah it's it's tough out there but you know shout out to terry francona for a great career and uh a little bit of amusement as well at his expense yeah speaking of great and a little bit of amusement dave's fun fact of the episode we've got this left and i'm dying to hear what it is this time okay well unfortunately for you you may already know about this because i'm i can't remember if i talked to you about it yet but so if it's not a surprise to you then sorry but maybe it'll be a surprise to some of our listeners so as most of you may know i am a florida state fan uh i started cheering for them because my grandparents were big fans living about 40 minutes away from tallahassee or so and one of the great florida state players that's ever lived is the great charlie ward also known for being a good nba player for a while as well um but he won the heisman trophy in 93 and you know one of the the more iconic florida state players of all time interestingly enough his heisman trophy is on display in my grandparents slash my mom's hometown of thomasville georgia which is where he's from now you might be thinking like do they have like some sort of like museum do they have some no anybody can just walk in to the thomas county public library take a left and walk into the kids section and there it is on the back wall sitting in a trophy case is charlie ward's heisman trophy along with a jersey and a basketball card of his while he was playing for the knicks as well with um a quote above it that says one way to get a quality education is to read what you don't want and do what you'd rather not and it's one of those things uh charlie and his family decided that the best place for his heisman trophy to reside would be in the children's section of the library to hopefully you know inspire them to make something better of themselves to focus on their education to do what they thought they couldn't do and when i was in thomasville uh for a wedding this past weekend me my dad and my sister's boyfriend went and saw the trophy and there it was just like i had seen it reported just sitting there in the children's section of the library um, and it was just a really cool thing and honestly what a humble thing to do and what what a way to you know give back to your community um also fun fact inside the fun fact the trophy looked about freaking 100 pounds it was way bigger in person than i thought it was going to be and it just looked like solid like it was like dang there's a picture of of charlie with the trophy as well in the trophy case and it's like sitting on the table and i was like there's a reason why it was just sitting on the table he did not want to lift that thing up to take a picture but anyway that's my fun fact is that if you're ever in thomasville georgia which 
you probably won't be. But if you are, then you can just go see Charlie Ward's Heisman Trophy in, um, in the library, which I just thought it was just one of those really fun, cool things that I had never known about. And I finally got to go and see it uh, this past weekend, which I just thought was pretty cool. You know, I feel like we hear a lot, go to your local library, you never know what you can find, you know? And usually that just means like open a book and read, you know, like, oh, this is a tale of grand adventure. But in this case, you know, you go to that library and you find the actual 1993 Heisman Trophy, which is crazy. Yeah. Also, they do look really, really heavy. I mean, I haven't seen one in person, but even in pictures, it's just like, damn, like, ought to just do the the scouting reps with that like how many times can you just curl this heisman trophy but yeah no you had not told me about that but that is fun like i think it is really cool to like if you're a kid to like go in there and be like oh this is someone that grew up around here just like me and this person was able to achieve like a really big things and so why not me next like this is why like representation in media is so important because of things like that. So yeah, I really respect and appreciate that. That's awesome. For sure. So, so shout out to Charlie Ward um, for, for doing that. And, you know, maybe we'll see another Heisman trophy courtesy of Jordan Travis. Probably not. Um, but <laughs> I, I wonder what, uh what Jameis did with his Heisman. It's probably not. Is there like a seafood place? I was literally thinking like a crab shack. Uh, I feel like eventually we'll do a hot seat where it's like hot seat. Jameis Winston reportedly sold his Heisman trophy for, you know, X, Y, Z. I mean, probably. But. Yeah, I think that's going to just about do it for this episode of the Mike and Dave podcast. Uh, Appreciate you listening as always. Um, You know, kind of covered a lot of different things in this episode. So if you're a fan of a lot of different sports like like we are, then hopefully you enjoyed the bit of variety. Um, What you won't get... (laughs) And next episode is a lot of variety because we're going to be doing our NBA tier list, like I mentioned before. So make sure if you're ready for a deep dive into, you know, each NBA team going into this next season, then definitely keep an eye out for that episode. We always look forward to breaking that down. And, um, you know, there's a lot of change that's happened in the NBA as there is every season. So just taking another look at it and seeing, who goes where and who has a shot at a championship. So looking forward to that one in a couple weeks. I'm sorry. That was too funny to me. Like I, I love doing that. The tier list too, or like my favorite episodes, but if you like variety, don't get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess our tennis fans weren't represented in today's episode. So let me just say Arthur Ashe stadium is also dope. There you go. <laughs> Throw you with that little bone. Uh, Billy, like, what is it? UTS- Billy Jean King. Yeah, I think it's UTSA, Billy Jean King Tennis Center. I'm trying to remember, like, the full, but Arthur Ashe is attached to that. So, wait, would, te- would, would, would Augusta National technically be? Yo, okay, let's. Well, 
Let's hmm. expand our horizons real quick. Uh, well, that's an honorable mention, at least. Um, mm. Okay, we're Golf we're going down a, a rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All that to say, there are cool places to play sports. So let us know what your favorites are. We'll be posting our favorites in the form of a social media post, which you can view on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. But you can also comment on those and say, oh, yeah, well, my favorite arena is blank. And, you know, then we'll make fun of you or, you know, oh, that's a good, you know, whatever. We'll respond to that. Uh, I'm sure it's great. You know, like it, it's really hard to find stadiums that aren't good or cool in some way. Right. Dave's like, ah, <laughs> there's, there's some baseball ones I hate. Don't give me any Philadelphia arena. That's all uh, I'm going to say. But anyway, if if you're listening and you're like, oh, I want to talk about my favorite stadium, please do. We'd love to hear it. But episode 66, like Dave said, will be our preseason NBA tier list because NBA season is right around the corner. So stay tuned for that. But until that time, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave podcast. <laughs>